phrase pie in the sky, one that we're probably all familiar with, it means something really good, but also something that's very unlikely to happen. It actually has its origin, that phrase, in an old song, a folk song written in 1911 by a man named Joe Hill. And he has this line in the song that says, uh, that goes, eat, uh, excuse me, work, pray, live on hay, you'll eat pie in the sky when you die. You know, the song is actually criticizing somewhat the doctrine of heaven. It's treating heaven like this fantasy, uh, this, this thing that we really would hope for, would think is really good, but something that Joe Hill, at least the writer of the song, seemed to think was very unlikely to be realized. You know, criticism of the idea of heaven, uh, he wasn't the first one to, to lob that criticism. And we see in our gospel that even in the first century, there were those who criticized heaven. We see the Sadducees criticize in particular the idea that the dead will rise from the grave. But before we jump into what the Sadducees said, it, I think it's important to ask, is this criticism true? Is heaven a pie-in-the-sky fantasy? If so, we've all been duped. But it's not a fantasy. We know with certainty heaven is real, and for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, because God, who cannot deceive nor be deceived, revealed heaven to us, told us heaven exists. The one from heaven came down to earth so that we might know that he is the way, the truth, and the life, the way back to heaven. But even, even more, uh, as important as that first reason is, there's another one, one that really I think we all can relate to. All people who've ever lived desire a happiness that can't be satisfied on this earth. You know, St. Augustine, so many centuries ago, wrote this line, You created us for Yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in You. It's profoundly true. You know, I remember back when I was in college, I had to read this book about a, a, a guy from Romania. He was born during the communist era, and he escaped when he was 19 or 20 and came to the United States. Really, one of the few things I remember about the book was this paragraph where he talked about Walmart, how shocked he was when he first came to America at Walmart. He said, with the material poverty he grew up in, people would have thought Walmart was heaven. But Americans are used to Walmart, and so they look for their heaven, their fulfillment elsewhere. You could read of that that we should be grateful for our material blessings, and that's certainly true. But we also can read that as, as having our basic needs met is not enough to satisfy the deepest hunger in our heart and soul. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which comes forth from the mouth of God, as Jesus says. So the fact that we have this deep hunger, this deep thirst that can't be quenched in earth, common sense would tell us we wouldn't have that hunger, that thirst, if there wasn't a way for it to be quenched, to be satisfied. That being said, let's look at this gospel. Let's look at the criticism the Sadducees lob at the resurrection. They, what they're trying to do is show that the belief in the resurrection, belief in the afterlife is foolish. And they do this with this kind of absurd hypothetical about a woman who 
because she had been married to these seven brothers at various times, would have seven husbands in the afterlife and after the resurrection. And Jesus pretty quickly dismantles this and he says, look, essentially, you don't get what it's like, what it will be like after the resurrection. You're trying to understand heaven through the lens of this earth, and you can't do that. All of us, hopefully, believe in the resurrection from the dead and in life everlasting. We profess it in the creed every Sunday. But I would say we can fall into that same trap of the, fact of the Sadducees nonetheless. We can try and understand heaven through the lens of, of our experience here on earth. You know, Pope Benedict wrote about this a few years back. He talked about, about people trying to understand heaven through the lens of this earth. And he said, you know, heaven, for instance, is not a succession of calendar days, right? Heaven is a supreme moment of satisfaction and joy, a moment without a beginning, without an end. Heaven is the beatific vision when we see God as he is in himself, face to face, unveiled, unmitigated, and because of the resurrection, our souls and bodies will be reunited and, and this will be a bodily experience in the new heaven and the new earth. When we see God face to face, we'll experience this pure and unmitigated joy and peace, this absolute contentment, complete satisfaction, and the perfect fulfillment of every good desire. This is our destiny. This is the destination that our life is a journey towards. But our gospel shows that it's not guaranteed. You know, Jesus says, when he begins to talk about the resurrection, he says, those who are deemed worthy to attain to the coming age. You know, it, it implies that not everyone will attain that blessing. And I don't say that to terrify or try and scare anyone to believing in Catholicism. And I say that because the truth is we all have a responsibility over our lives. And we will all be asked to give an account for how we've lived our life, how we've responded to God's grace and mercy. So I suppose the real question of this gospel is, how can we be counted among those who are deemed worthy? Well, I'll say this, you know, one analogy that we often use uh, is to look at the Christian life like a journey and heaven as its destination. It's a very good analogy. But I would want to maybe get a little more detailed. Have, uh, the Christian life in heaven are like a journey to the moon. Our nature is not designed to be on the moon. We can't breathe. It's very cold. You know, the, the, the handful of men who have walked on the moon, they did so only with the aid of these very advanced spacesuits that kept them alive and enabled them to breathe on the moon. If we want to see God face to face, if we want to enter heaven, this profound union with God, then we must be like him. Our nature must be elevated so we can do that. We need something that enables us to live in an environment that our nature isn't technically made for. And that something is grace. The supernatural life of grace. Grace is a share in God's own life. So when we are baptized, His sanctifying grace is infused into our soul. God Himself comes to dwell within us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But baptism isn't like a ticket to heaven, right? That supernatural life of grace needs to grow in us. 
It needs to grow and be nourished and strengthened. We need to become holy. We need to allow God's life to grow in us so that we can be like him in eternity. How do we do that? Well, that's why we have the sacraments. You know, confirmation strengthens this union. The Eucharist nourishes it, right? The Eucharist nourishes and strengthens and enables it to grow. And if we become wounded by our own sin, Sacrament of Reconciliation restores this supernatural life of grace within us. These are the two sacraments, especially the Eucharist and Confession, that need to be staples of our spiritual life so that we can bit by bit allow God's life to expand in us so that we can grow to be like Him so that one day we can experience the real and true joy of heaven, seeing God as He is face to face.